Good morning, friends. It's great to see you all here today. Um, as you've heard, we're speaking about unity today. We're on, we're on week number 46 of our core 52. And um, if it were up to me to put things in order, I would put uh, this theme and this teaching way toward the very front end or at the top of the list because it was so important to Jesus and it has been so important to the, the growth and development of the church through the centuries. We're going to look at um, two, with two different lenses. First, unity in a world of diversity. And secondly, diversity within the, the movement of unity that we represent. Um, according to Wikipedia, the, the term unity and diversity has been used as an expression of harmony between dissimilar individuals and groups. Um, it's a concept of unity without uniformity and diversity without fragmentation. That is a great definition of what Jesus has commissioned us to be as a church. Uh, several years back, Gail and I went on one of our mission visits to a place in China in the far northeast region of Jiling. Whenever I mention to Chinese students that, that, that we went to Jiling, they always go, oh, it's so cold there. <laughs> yes, it is, very cold there. And uh, we went during Easter, during in the spring, there was still ice floating on the river. and. Um, the place that we visited is called Hunchun City. It is on this little land bridge that's uh, to the north is Russia, and there are a lot of Russians that visit there. And to the south is North Korea, and we know about North Korea. And so for a couple of Americans visiting a mission in China, uh, bordered by Russia and North Korea, it was a great place to be. <laughs> Uh, I'll tell you, we, we learned a lot and we saw the church in action in this place. Um, we went to an Easter service. Now, it was prohibited to worship together unless you had a government minder, they call them, among your, your, in your presence. So uh, the plans were made for us to go to a horse barn, which was just up the mountain a ways. We put on our long underwear and our coats and we got into a truck in the dark and we drove up to this horse barn. And as we entered, it was still dark. We could smell animals and it was great for Gail's allergies. Uh, but there were, no, there were no fancy lights, there was no sound system, but people started showing up. It was the under, underground church and people came and we heard chit-chat in Mandarin a lot. We heard some Russian. We heard some Korean. And uh, it was an interesting mix of people. And then we started to worship. And when we got to the song, How Great Thou Art, and everyone was singing at the top of their lungs, one song, one voice, four different languages, I couldn't sing. <laughs> All I could do was listen. 
it moved me so emotionally to be in this place among, really, enemy nations, nations that had no reason to trust each other, no reason to be together, but all there for one purpose, and that was to worship our Lord. Now, some of you, I'm sure, remember the International Sundays when uh, the song it wasn't How Great Thou Art, but we had different songs we sang here uh, in one voice in different languages, and I, I know that that moved many of us emotionally to know that we're part of a much bigger family. And then if you read in Revelation, I always get goosebumps or even more when I imagine the scene around the throne with every tribe in every nation singing glory to God in one voice. I believe God put in us an imprint of this yearning for uh, a, a form of unity, a type of unity that goes beyond reason, that binds us together, a wish that it could be. But according to Jesus, he had the same wish, and it can be, and it has been, through the ages to bring the church to us as it is. I don't know what it is about unity that's so powerful, but it is definitely powerful. Jesus, when he met with his best friends in the upper room the night before he was betrayed, several really unique things happened. It's clear that he loved them. And in John 13 to 17, I'd encourage you just to take some time to read this discourse. It's Jesus talking intimately with his best friends and several things that were very significant to us as Jesus followers happened then first is he washed their feet to demonstrate to them how important servanthood is basically saying he who serves the most is the greatest in the kingdom and he demonstrated that then he gave them the new commandment which was love others as I've loved you which covers it all. It covers the Ten Commandments, it covers the Great Commandment, it's the New Commandment. They were about to see how deep his love was for them and for us. He also told them that he'd be leaving soon, not to be afraid, but that he was gonna send a comforter, his Holy Spirit, to indwell all of us and to guide us through the future. He initiated the Lord's Supper, which we'll have Soon here, that's been the way that we remember Jesus and his sacrifice and the forgiveness that we have through him. And lastly, he said a prayer. He said a prayer for the disciples, his friends, but he also extended it even to us, as you'll see in the prayer. And in the prayer, it was like, this is my request, Father, to you. This is my prayer request as I'm going to complete the job I have to do this is what I'm praying for. It was not for safety. It was not for strength. It was not for protection or for power against the empire. It was not for ministry strategy. His prayer went like this. My prayer is not for them, my disciples, alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that's us, 
that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I'm in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you sent me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. This was his final prayer request. He knew his, father, his followers were, if they were unified against all odds, if they lived and loved in lockstep with God and with each other, denying prejudice, denying distrust, denying fear and insecurity, denying classism, there's a lot of that, racism, elitism, nationalism, legalism, and hatred for their oppressors. He knew that if they moved forward, in spite of all of this, that the world would change. Jesus knew that the world would recognize this culturally disruptive unity that went against the flow. This is how the church began, and it's how the world changed. Jesus came to establish a new kingdom that unifies humanity despite physical, social, class, gender, political, or tribal differences. The oppression and injustice of the Romans and the religious leaders of the day gave them many legitimate reasons not to trust each other, to hate each other. But the new commandment of love, to love each other as Jesus loved them, and his prayer for unity was a force that created a counterculture in response that shouted God's character of grace and mercy to a very fragmented world. Even Paul, who was formerly Saul, an elitist Jew, a Jesus hater, a Christian killer, can you imagine him being a spokesperson for the new church? The church had to get over him so that he could speak to them. But he even said in Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Gentile. We don't get that, but it's pretty deep. There's neither slave nor free. We don't get that one either. Nor is there male or female. We barely get that one. And you are all, for you are all in Christ Jesus. I hope we get that one. <laughs> I think we can. Moving forward to today, if we think about us, we think about all of the reasons that we have to mistrust, to divide, to not believe, maybe even to, to dislike or even hate uh, people who are not like us. We all have prejudices. We all have biases. We all have preferences. Um, there are over 200 official denominations in the United States and over 45,000 globally among Christians. So, 
it's time for us to learn to love like Jesus and to seek unity beyond our biases, beyond our feelings of betrayal or disappointment from others, beyond our political preferences, beyond our preferences for worship style or the way we sit in an auditorium or whether we shop at Target or Walmart. Uh, we shop in Bedford most of the time. It's safer <laughs> and nice too. So Miles McPherson, uh, who has a large multicultural church uh, in San Diego, uh, came out with a book and a video series called The Third Option. Now, it's, it's founded in a, a different view of racial tensions, but it's, that's a minor part of really the whole series that we are, um, we've promoted here. We've had several groups go through it. Uh, John Barnes and Vanessa will be leading the next one starting on uh, September 7. I'd like to invite you all to be part of it. It's really good. It helps us look at what our biases might be. Sean mentioned this book. We have, we form, just to organize ourselves socially, we form in groups, those people who are like us at different levels, out groups, those people who are not like us. We prefer and favor our in groups. We suspect and kind of put all kind of, of uh, labels on the out groups and then we expect them all to be like our labels. It's, uh, we just do it. That's just a human thing where we all are tribal in nature. But the series helps you look into that, look past it. I, I, it's surely helped me. I've been through it a couple times, and each time I, I see my biases, what they are. Mine tend not to be racial, and, but more class, because I grew up on the other side of the tracks, extremely blue-collar family, and I learned through my family not to trust anybody who has a white collar on regardless of what, if they're a banker, a salesman, a business person, doesn't matter. Now, doctors were a little bit different. You know, they wear white too sometimes. But um, I've had to own up to that. Another one is I have religious biases against Christians who are more conservative than I am <laughs> because I grew up in a church that was, was pretty brutal on uh, judgment and on wrath of God and not on grace. And I kind of grew up under this, I hope I don't do something wrong thing. I think it's wrong. I think it's, it's not good theology. So when I smell that, <laughs> I go nuts inside, you know. So it's a bias that I have and I have to own up to it. So there's a lot to learn. We invite you to be part of that. Um, the worship experience tonight is going to be awesome. Our people from Latin America are here at different levels of documentation, of different levels of comfort, feeling like this is their home, this could be their home, but language is always an issue. So I want you, I want you to help me tonight, those of you who are coming and not, uh, repeat after me. Te quiero en Cristo. Te quiero en Cristo. That means I love you in Christ. So if you see somebody coming in tonight, Say, te quiero en Cristo, and you'll get a big smile, maybe even a hug and a kiss on the cheek. You never know. I hope that happens. So let's switch lenses real quickly and look at diversity uh, in unity. Um, let's, the Core 52 verse for this week 
I like it in the message, so we're going to read it from there. In Ephesians 4, 4 to 7, you were all called to travel on the same road and in the same direction. So stay together, both outwardly and inwardly. You have one master, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who rules over all, works through all, and is present in all. Everything you are and think and do is permeated with oneness. But that doesn't mean that you should all look or speak or act the same. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us is given his own gift. Unity doesn't imply uniformity. We are clearly all different, and God wants to use each one of us the way he's woven us together. Uh, We've been given special abilities with the purpose of building up the church and of making God famous wherever we go as we use those gifts. Um, There are three different primary segments in Scripture where we read about that gifting. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12 to 14, and Ephesians 4. Um, I'll let you look those up and read them. They're pretty, they're, they're, they're pretty detailed. Uh, one thing I like about the 1 Corinthians section from 12 to 14 is that 12 talks about the body and a bunch of gifts. 13 is the love chapter. And it says, it really doesn't matter how you're gifted if you can't use your gift in love, it's useless. I'm thinking, oh, I wonder why he put that there. I know why I did, <laughs> because we can get carried away with our own giftedness sometimes. And the, the next chapter is about the gift of tongues and how to use it appropriately in the church or in your own private lives. So they cover a multitude. The, there are 21 gifts, as I can count them. There should be a list coming up on the screen soon. Now, there are words like prophecy, discernment, interpretation, exhortation, Words that today we don't use often and we don't always know the meaning. In fact, there are multiple um, surveys you can take to discover what your gifts are, but there are also multiple definitions of what the different gifts mean. So it can become pretty overwhelming. Um, One thing I could say for sure, uh, this is not an exhaustive list. There are many ways that people are gifted And really, as we travel to visit our mission partners, we see so many different kinds of gifts and experience that people have in life that they've released to God and said, here I am, use me how you want. And it it cover a gamut, just wide, wide variety of gifting. It doesn't mean standing in front of people and giving a sermon is the primary gift of the kingdom. No. In Papua New Guinea, our missionary schedules aviation flights because there are no roads there, and the only way to get services to people is to land on grass strips with these bush planes. He's very gifted. In fact, not only he, for the mission, but for several other missions, he coordinates flights and provides life-saving flights sometimes for people. That's his gift. And he said, he grew up in this church. His name is Genka. He grew up in this church and he said, here I am, how do you want to use me? His wife is a master administrator and she administrates for the whole mission. It's a large mission. So I'm just looking at him and going, thank you. 
Thank you for saying yes and being willing to use your gifts to serve the Lord. Now, you don't have to go to the mission field to do that either. We do it here in the church, and please don't think that we're asking you to use your gifts in the church. The world is watching, and the best way to represent Jesus and make God famous out there is to use your gift for God's glory uh, according to the opportunities that you have in front of you. When we do a gift survey and do a class, we don't just talk about spiritual gifts, we also talk about your life experience, good and bad, your learned skills, whatever they may be, your personality, which makes a huge difference in the whole mix, and we also look at the passions God's given you. Is it to, to serve children? Is it to work with the elderly? Is it to fix something that's broken? <laughs> is it to use, improve the systems around us to make it work better? I mean, there's so many ways. So we've found a, a book. It's called Gifted for More. Um, it comes from Barna Research. Barna is, they do a lot of research within the church. And um, it's a new look at giftings within the church that's a much more kind of modern approach. It doesn't say that the traditional view is wrong. It just adds a little bit to it that's a little bit more palatable for us today. And um, the next slide is a lot of, it's pretty small, but just tons of different giftings. Uh, okay, that's fine. We'll just, yeah, this one. I like this page. You can barely read it, but there are so many different options on there that I look at going, oh yeah, I, I know people who fit into these categories very well. Um, and then the next one is the 12 gifts that they have identified, general areas of gifting that apply well to us. And there also is a survey that they've put together that's a really good one. I took it, it's very, it's different, but it helps you zero in on where are you gifted. A lot of you know, know what you're best at, but then the next step is how do I release this to God and say, hey, here I am. However you want to use my gift, I'm willing and ready. The furniture giveaway to me <laughs> is a great example of people who fix things, sort things, clean things, use their pickup trucks. That's a spiritual gift I have too. I've got a pickup truck, so I love to drive it wherever. I'm not so good at the lifting part, but I love to drive my truck places. Um, and uh, we have systems people. Every year they improve the systems. We have people who actually create computer programs to be able to sort through all of the furniture and keep inventories, etc., etc. There's always a place for somebody. The sign up in the back in the foyer, if you're interested in serving in some way with that, has this massive lift of volunteer opportunities. And I guarantee you, whatever you think your gift is, there's a volunteer spot for you because it's such a broad example. And you saw the result on the screen. You saw why furniture giveaway works and why we keep doing it. Labor intensive, but we keep doing it year after year because of that. So, in summary, I would say four points. Jesus' prayer in the upper room was for his followers to be one because he knew that culturally disruptive unity would change the world. We demonstrate our love for God and for others through our unity. And this is a way of glorifying God to show him to the world. And they know, they'll know we're Christians by our unity. 
<laughs> by our love and our unity because they go hand in hand. Unity is not uniformity. We can demonstrate unity when we exercise our diverse gifts in the church and for the well-being of others in our community, working together for the common cause of the kingdom. Bottom line, love others despite your biases, identify your special abilities, and use them to make God famous. I taught a class on spiritual gifts, and at the end of the class, uh, kind of a character named uh, was George Theodore. Some of you may know him. He's passed now. But he came up to me and he says, I don't have any special gifts. I don't know how God could use me. And his wife was there. She said, but George, George, you make that beautiful jewelry. And he said, well, what good could that be? And I said, tell me about the jewelry. And he, made, he makes rings and earrings and things out of stainless steel pipe, and they were really nice. Well, we made a big deal of that. I said, think about how you could use this for the kingdom. And within the next month, Alan Phillips, who has a ring, and I and Tom Ellsworth and Roger Clark and maybe someone else had received rings that he made with crosses on them. And um, I, received, I received mine, and I wore it, and my dad saw it. He liked it. So then George's next phase was, well, I'm going to sell some of these so I can use the money to give, kind of like the dollar clubs, so I can help people out. I said, sure, that's great, great. So I had him make a ring for my dad, and I bought it from him, and I gave it to my dad. He wore it for several years before he passed. The very last thing that my mom did before she closed the coffin in the church on my dad was make sure that I got that ring. So they took it off of his finger and I put it on mine. And with Gail's permission, I wear it, actually instead of my wedding ring. And uh, for years now, uh, traveling the world in our mission ventures, people have commented on my ring. And I get to tell George's story. And I get to talk about how a guy who thought he had nothing to offer actually opened a doorway in conversation, whether it's in an airplane or in a Hindu temple <laughs> or with people who are not at all like us who admire my ring and think, are you a priest? I say, yeah, you kiss my ring. No. <laughs> it's more like, thank you, George. Thank you, God. Thank you for taking something so simple as that and turning it into opportunities uh, for the kingdom. So I want to encourage you all you all have something to offer the kingdom, regardless of, of what your gifts or talents are. Uh, and God made you that way to bring honor and glory to him, to the church, and to bless the community and to make him famous. So let's do it, okay? God bless you all. Thank you for watching this message from Sherwood Oaks Christian Church. Did you know you can view any message from the past six years at socc.org messages? You can also view complete worship services from the past month at socc.tv.